Well, good morning. Good morning. So, uh, wow, it's good power worship, right? You know, we are in a series here called Signs of Greatness. Signs of Greatness. And we've been walking through the Gospel of John. We're looking at seven different miracles in the Gospel of John over the seven weeks of time. And each miracle gets a week. And uh, But you know what? John calls them more than miracles. You know, we've talked about this, right? They're not just little magic shows. They're not just little moments where God can go, hey, watch this. And he does something and everybody's like, ooh, that was impressive, right? That, that's not what it is. They were more than miracles. They were signs. Signs. And so there's an indication about God's greatness. There's an indication about God's ministry. There's statements about who Jesus Christ is and what he's doing and what he's going to be accomplishing. And Lord, help us learn what those signs mean and what they're about. And in fact, in John chapter 20, it says that John recorded all these signs that we might believe that Jesus is the son of God. That we might believe in who he is and who his power is and what he can do for us. Lord, rock our faith. That's what the Gospel of John's all about. And so as we go through this morning, our question is, like, if you're in that position where you're going, I don't even know who Jesus is. I'm not sure I get what this whole thing's about. I showed up today and whatever. I'm not sure why I'm even here. Like, Lord, take me from that position to explaining a little bit about who you are and your power and your authority. I'm ready to hear from you and... Or maybe we are believing at some level and we're like, I, I get it and I'm committed, but, but Lord, grow me in that. Take me from one degree of glory to the next as I meet you face to face. Like, Lord, help my faith to grow. Remember we said belief, it means leaning on him with our whole weight. And Lord, help me grow in that belief. So as we get started this morning, just imagine this. You go into your refrigerator in the kitchen early in the morning. You open the door and you reach up and you grab an egg and you're turning around to do whatever with it. And oh, it slips and it smashes all over the place, right? And so the next step is clean up crew, right? Time to get somebody in there and like start cleaning it up, pick that stuff all up and throw it away. That's the best we can do is get it off the floor and get it out of there. Or maybe you're reaching up into that china cabinet. And you're reaching for one of those china plates you got it at your wedding that you use once a year, whether you need to or not, right? And so you pull that china plate out, oh, it slips, and it hits the tile floor and smash! Pieces everywhere. And, well, cleanup crew, just call somebody in and sweep that up and throw it away. That's the best we can do. A little bit of vacuuming afterwards to make sure we don't get shards in us, right? That's all we can do. And we're on the throwaway when things get broken. But our God is a restoring God. That's who our God is. And so what does that mean? What does it mean that he restores? What can I trust in with him? And, and Lord, help me teach, help me learn of your teaching today. Help me to grow in my belief of you as a restoring God. That's where we're going today, all right? So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 5, verse 1. John 5, verse 1. We're going to answer that question. What does it mean that God is a restoring God? We got ushers coming forward and they've got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just uh, raise your hand. And they'll get one to you, okay? Just raise your hand, they'll get a Bible to you. We're going to go walk verse by verse through this. So John chapter 5, 1 through 15. Actually, we're going to go 1 through 18. All right. So if we're going to learn about this, remember we've talked about this in each miracle here so far. These are stories. And, and so we're going to look at it in two segments. The first part is the story. We're going to walk through the story and we're going to learn what the people are doing and what they're thinking and what they're saying and what God's teaching them. And Lord, help us learn from the details of the story, okay? And then after that, we're going to go back 
and we're going to learn of the sign. The sign. Like, what does this indicate about Christ and his power? Lord, what do I need to know about you? Show me the big picture, okay? So let's get started here. The story, let's get the details, okay? And remember, sophisticated outline 1A. So A, actively obey what Jesus says to do. He has the power to restore. Actively obey what Jesus says to do. He has the power to restore. All right, let's get started. Chapter 5, verse 1. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. After this. After what? Well, it's always important to check back, right? This is uh, coming right after chapter 4, and uh, this is where we were at last week. It was the official and his son being healed. And Jesus was in Cana and the officials living in Capernaum. And, and this is a 20 to 25 mile distance. And Jesus teaches that his power is more than just proximity based. Hey Amen. What I will goes on. Distance or not. And the official learns that and his faith grows in it. In fact, the, the official and his whole household believe. And after this, okay, that's where we're at now. There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. There was a feast. We don't know which feast. It doesn't say which one here. But we know that there are numerous feasts throughout the year. These are very religious uh, activities and events. In fact, going to Jerusalem, uh, being able to celebrate with everyone and joining in at the temple, that's a big part of it. It's a corporate rally to remember what God has done in our lives and to celebrate Him. It was a big-time Jewish celebration as well as a religious element in their walk. And so Jesus is going to the celebration. All right? You know, how often do we think of Jesus Christ and we picture this guy that's kind of like, kind of a pasty white, sort of gaunt, right? He's lost too much weight. For some reason, our paintings always have him really frail. And, and like he's the, he'd probably be the worst carpenter out there because he can't even swing a hammer. Like I don't, why do we picture him that way? Why do we have this weak Jesus that's like that? In fact, we have a Jesus who never smiles and every statement he delivers a little bit on the harsh side. It's like, he's kind of cranky. Somebody get him a little bit of carbs, you know, bring the guy up a little bit. Like somehow that's the Jesus that gets pictured. Why is that? I don't know why that goes on. Jesus was going to a feast. Like he's saying, hey, disciples, I know you're following me. And just so you know, there's a massive celebration going on. We are talking time to remember God Almighty. There is a party taking place in all of Jerusalem and we will be there. That's how we need to read this. There's a party going on with great religious celebration in the midst of it. Jesus is going to be a part of that. That's where God is. He's not some sad sap. Who's wandering around boring people by getting them to sit on rocks and talk to them. He's a God who's teaching and he's sharing and he's living life with people and he's excited about it. That's our Jesus Christ. Okay. So Jesus, he's on the way to this feast in Jerusalem. It says now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Okay, there's a sheep gate. This is a gate that was used for sheep. It's well named, right? So this gate was actually a place where they'd have the sheep come through. They were going in to either go to the temple or to be able to go in for whatever was being sold inside. Typically, though, for the temple and for some sacrifice. Okay, the sheep gate. We're going to come back to it in a little bit. 
But just note, he was hanging out by one of the entrances, one of the many entrances into Jerusalem. This gate had a purpose. There was a pool outside of it, the pool called Bethesda, all right? And so this pool had some things going on with it. Uh, there was a roofed colonnade and uh, a really nice little porch. You could go hang out there and kind of be safe from the elements, and you could be waiting by the pool and uh, be hanging out underneath this roof, all right? Uh, I just want to say... Notice it says, in these lay a multitude of, and in the ESV it says invalids. All right, so I'm going to just step away from preaching for a moment and talk about the English language. What's up with that word? Like, does that word bother you? I don't get that word. And so I appreciate some of the other translations that went with disabled or the hurting and the sick. Where do we come up using the word invalid? And then we somehow try to repronounce it as if it's softer. I don't get it. I don't like it. So just a little comment about the English language. Let's be really careful what we think and what we're saying. There are some people who are hurting. There were some people in need. There were some people that were struggling with some things physically. And God loved them deeply. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. I've said on that dumb word. All right. Now, for some of you, take a look at your Bibles very closely. Notice verse 3. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. What's the next verse number that you have there? Five, okay. Now, some of you are like, I have four. What's wrong with your Bible? Right? And so just so you know, most scriptures now jump to verse five, and they don't have a verse four there. And I just want to talk about it for a second, okay? The original manuscripts, the the earliest manuscripts that we have, do not contain a phrase that was added in there. Sometime over the course of time, the scribes that were copying it down felt it important to add something in. Everybody say bad. Okay, let's not add stuff to scripture, amen? Okay, but they added something in, and what they added, what they were just trying to be helpful. What they added was true. What they added was right. It was accurate in that regard. But let's be careful not to try to add to scripture because we just think God needs a little help. You know what I'm saying? Okay, and so that's what's going on. They added this explanation, and I'll just tell you what it says. Verse 4, for some of you, verse 4 says, it's like the King James Version, the New American Standard. There's, there's some of them that have popped it in there, and they put a little note with it that just says, not in earliest manuscripts, okay? Meaning, it shouldn't be here. All right, that's what it really means. But what it basically says is, hey, just so you know, it was believed that an angel of the Lord would come and stir the waters of the pool of Bethesda. And when the water stirred, there was like extra God power in it, okay? And the first one to dive into the water would be healed. Okay, that's why these guys were all hanging out here. They were hanging out here waiting to try to be the first one into the water to be healed, okay? They were giving a little bit of explanation. And in fact, we see it again echoed in verse 7. We'll get there in just a second. So they were trying to set up verse 7 to make more sense, all right? So now we skip and we go to verse 5. Hey, wait a minute. How'd they know to skip a verse number? Well, just so you know, they numbered the verses hundreds and hundreds of years after the manuscripts were written, okay? This was one of those when they're talking and they're like, dude, I was reading this thing this morning. It was awesome in scripture. It was about, I don't know, a little more than a third, a little less than a halfway through. And it was kind of like down in the, right? And you can't describe where to find it. And they're like, we should just number them and give them addresses so we can find these verses easier as we're talking through them and as we're memorizing it. So the verses became a thing they did hundreds of years later, okay? Not part of the inspired Manuscript. At that point, they had already had some manuscripts out that had this in it and some that didn't. And so they said, you know what, let's make sure we're all on the same page. So those that didn't skipped the verse number. Okay, just so you know, that's how it all worked. All right. So verse five says one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Everybody say long time. Long time. 
hey, 38 years, right? This guy's a good chunk of this man's life. He has had an extreme crippling going on. We're not sure what it is, but we know that it definitely does not allow him to move quickly. So it must affect his legs in some way. He's hurting deeply. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Jesus saw him and and he just knew. Like, how did he know? Well, because Jesus is God. That's how he knew, right? I, I mean, Jesus is God. He knows. And we see a little bit of statement here. Like, he wasn't told ahead of time. It's not like one of the disciples said, just so you know, the man you're headed up to now, here's a little bit of the stats. Like, that's not what was going on. Jesus knew because he's God Almighty. And he knew what was going on in this man's life. Go ahead and just say to your neighbor, he's God. Like, hey, that's important. We got to understand he's God. And if we're interacting with the scripture, we need to grasp the, gr- the greatness of Jesus Christ. It starts with the small. He just knew the detail about him. Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? You got to love the power of a question, don't you? Do you want to be healed? Now, oftentimes when we're asked questions, we find that we're actually in the wrong frame of mind to answer the question. You know what I'm talking about? For me, like more early morning, I'm less a morning person. My wife is very much a morning person. I'm the late night. So don't ask her questions late at night. Don't ask me early in the morning. That means we better catch each other at noon or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, right, we got to be careful with the question and, and, and when and how we ask it. And, but if we ask it at a certain time, we might catch a heart that's not quite there. And, and this guy, he's been sick for 38 years with this whatever is going on. He's laying by the side of the pool of Bethesda, apparently not able to get into the waters quickly. And, and, and so he's been kind of bumming out about it. And quite frankly, when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Well, it appears the man sort of takes offense to that. Like he started questioning his desire. You wouldn't still be here if you wanted it. Kind of how he took it. Well, how do you know that, Tim? Check it out. He says, do you want to be healed? His answer, the sick man says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps before me. He's like, do I want to be healed? Look, I have a pool problem. That's what's going on with me, okay? I cannot get over there fast enough. Like, yeah, I want to be healed. I'm looking at the water, and I'm waiting for the stir moment. And when it happens, somebody else beats me every time. Shocker, can you see what's going on with me here? You know what I mean? That's kind of what he's doing with Christ. There's a little bit of frustration moment. Seriously? You're going to ask me that question. Seriously. Do I want to be healed? Why do you think I'm hanging out here? The plan's just not working out well, okay? Leave me alone. Have you ever had those friends who come along and they're sort of faith critics for you? You know, as you're going through your tough moment and they're like, maybe you don't want it bad enough. You know, or maybe you should want that a little more and pray a little deeper. And he kind of feels like he's got a faith critic standing before him. He misreads what Christ is saying. And in fact, Christ was really saying, hey, look here, the God of the universe right before you. You may not totally grasp this, but I spoke and everything exists. Look here. Do you want to be healed? Okay. Now, if this is me, I'm Jesus and I ask him, do you want to be healed? And the guy's like, yeah, pool, this, that doesn't work. I'm like, dude, look at me. Come on. Grasp a little bit of what the aura of what's going on here, bro. 
You're totally missing it. There's something of me you're not seeing and you're not feeling. You know what I mean? You'd start going into it a little bit. A little bit of communication time. No, that's not what I meant. I'm not talking about the lame pool thing. I'm talking about me and my almighty power. You know, I'd start explaining it. For some reason, divinely given, right? God's like, absolutely not necessary. Jesus says, I got a better plan. I'm not going to communicate with more words. I'm going to communicate with action. All right. So he looks at the man and he says simply this three commands for you. Get up, take your bed and walk. Get up, take your bed and walk. Notice this. He says to the man, do you want to be healed? The man completely doesn't get it. No faith displayed yet. No, nothing displayed yet. Christ is like, needs a little help. All right. Power will be unleashed upon you. Get up, take your mat and walk. Three commands, bro, right now. Now, can you imagine that moment as he is sitting there, as he is laying there on the side of the pool and that command comes out? I got to imagine the people around him. Remember, there's multitudes like there's a lot of sick people and they hear him talking to this guy and they're like, that seems rather abusive. I mean, he told the guy to get up. 38 years he's been there. It's kind of obvious. Duh. He can't get up. Stop hurting the man. What are you doing, right? I can't imagine what ran through these guys' minds real quickly as Jesus gives this command. Get up. And right then, wham. The power of God ripping through this man's body. I'm talking muscles being restored. I'm talking tendons being stretched out. I'm talking blood vessels coming back to the way they should be. I'm talking joints being fixed up. Feet coming right where they should be. Everything coming into line. And all of a sudden the guy's like, hang on. You know what I'm saying? And he stands up and he's doing... I mean, wouldn't you do that? I mean, after 38 years, you've been kind of late. Wouldn't you think you'd start kind of... Dude, check check this out. (laughs) Hang on, man. And actually, we'll find out in a little bit. A crowd of people just start gathering around as he's like, I'm telling you, I'm healed. And they're like, he didn't even get in the pool. He broke the rule. You're supposed to wait, man. How do we know to get in? He didn't even touch the water. What's going on? Right. And they're all looking at what's happening as Jesus has given the command. And the man is healed, restored. The power of God moved through him and i love this next statement it says the man's response at once the man was healed how fast at once god's power unleashed upon him at once the man was healed so yeah he took up his bed and he walked right it doesn't say where he even walked to jesus is like just get up take your bed and walk and he's like done picking it up i don't know where i'm going but i'm walking man you know what i mean Like at some point, you just do what you're told to do. And when you grasp what Jesus Christ is saying and who he is, get on with it, right? That's what it looks like to obey him. We have an amazing God who gives us every opportunity to hear his voice as he restores. Hey, God is in the business of restoring. And there's times where he restores the physical, but he's always about restoring the spiritual. He's always about going to the heart and stirring us and moving us and healing us and bringing us towards him. And we have a God who is a restoring God. May we long to hear his voice as he says, get up. As his power is poured over us. 
Lord, I want to hear from you. You know, many of you know that uh, we have a dog named Teddy. And uh, he comes in handy because we can use him on illustrations a lot, right? <laughs> so we have a dog named Teddy. Slug, yes. Uh, he barks for about a minute and a half when you come to the door, and then that's it. Like, he's done. I'm cooked. I'm over. So he goes and he lays down. So uh, I walked into the kitchen area a couple days back, and Teddy was hanging out there. And I thought, hey, I haven't worked with Teddy for a little bit on, on uh, obedience stuff. So, you know, hey, Teddy, sit. And uh, his response was sort of like this. <laughs> You're kidding, right? No. I'm not doing that. I'm like, Teddy, sit. And, and, and so then he realizes there's a little more firmness in my voice. And so he does what he always does. He drops his head a little bit and just stands there. Like, I know I'm in violation, but no. No, uh-uh, not going to do that. And I'm like, this is ridiculous, you know? So I let him go and I walked over and I got a treat. And I walked back now with the treat and I go, Teddy, sit. And now he drops his ears lower like, oh, man, it's getting bad. He's going to really make this happen. And now I walk up and I just show him my hand, let him smell it. And all of a sudden, bam, he pops up. And he can smell the treat. And I go, Teddy, sit. And he's like, yeah, baby, I sit. <laughs> like, Teddy, down and whack. He's down, man. And stay. And he's like, all right, all right. You know, and I, I come over and I give him the treat and I get another one. I said, come here. And he runs up to me, sit. And he sits down and I give him the treat and everything's great hey is that obedience uh and that's so much actually that's called self-serving action <laughs> right anything i do i will do only once i realize it has a benefit to me okay that's not the definition of obedience and let's be really careful with that all too often in our walk with christ we actually say lord i want to obey just make it perfectly clear how you're going to bless me in the midst of that. And that's not obedience. And Lord, may I truly grasp your authority and may I respond to you as God in my life and may I obey no matter what happens and God to you be the glory and whatever you decide comes, that's good enough for me. Obedience. All right? It's Christ-serving, not self-serving. Obedience. So question, how are you doing on that domain? How are you doing with the Christ serving? Like, Lord, whatever you call me to, fine. Done. I'll worry about whatever comes to me at a way later time. It's all about you being glorified. It's about you being honored. I follow you and I listen to you. How are you doing with that? Or maybe let me say it this way. What's the thing you're upset that's not coming your way? How dare God not do this? As if in some way we've done enough good that we've earned the right to say, now you owe me. Right? How much is that missing the gospel message? That actually we've come up way short. And there is nothing we can say to God about you owe. Man, we owe him. And that's where we are. Lord, we thank you for your shed blood on the cross at Calvary. We're in awe of what you've done for us. You are Redeemer. You are Savior. You are Almighty King. You are my God. You've got my obedience no matter what. And that's obedience. Let's make sure we obey him with our whole heart. Okay? It's the first step 
in grasping God's restoring power is just obey him. Get up, take your mat and walk. Second, give Jesus the credit and preeminence in all he does. Give Jesus the credit and preeminence in all he does. Hey, this is a huge part about working with the restoring God. As he restores, let's make sure we give him the honor due him. Now, notice this. It says, now that day was the Sabbath. Now that day was the Sabbath. This is the end of verse 9. Sabbath, what does that mean? Well, this is that day of the week, Saturday, that is meant for rest. You know, we work hard for six days and we take a seventh off is what the Old Testament talks about. And we do it in honor of God Almighty and, and in thinking through things with him. It's meant to be a day where we just review the greatness of his gifts to us and how he's um, just remembered us. And, and thank you, Lord, for who you are. And, and, and now I just want to honor you. I say, take a break. Well, that sounds kind of good, doesn't it? Our society kind of messes that one up a little bit. As we get busy seven days a week. The Sabbath, though, it was more than that. The Pharisees even kind of hijacked it. They took over this principle of let's honor God with taking a break and remembering him that day and not working on that day. And and in fact, they started figuring out how to fix it a little bit, make it more clear. And so they created what we call around here a donut. Okay, and so for those of you who haven't been around a while, what are we talking about? He created a donut. He took this rule, the Pharisees, like, Sabbath, man, this hardcore middle. It's going to be awesome. We're going to glorify God in it. We're going to take some rest time, and we're going to remember God every week and Sabbath. Okay, but let's be a little more clear. I'll put some of my rules around it. Like, thou shalt not uh, pick up your mat. Did you know that? Thou shalt not be making meals. Uh, thou shalt not thou shalt not thou shalt not thou shalt not here's a bunch of rules around it to try to make it a little more clear and and then all of a sudden over time it became more about the rules and following the rule giver being the pharisee and out of the middle comes the whole glorify god thing we throw that away and oops we've made a donut and it's nothing but my own man-made rules that's what the pharisees had created is a legal donut okay the sabbath had a bunch of nasty wrapped around it and a bunch of thou shalt nots. This was that day. You know, the day when you're not supposed to pick up your mat. And what did Jesus tell him to do? Pick up your mat. See, this is one of those moments when it says after it, John sets us up. It says, now that day was the Sabbath. We're supposed to go, oh, okay. Like we're just caught the problem. All right. So you've now been set up. Are you ready? I need some verbal response here. Now that day was... The Sabbath. Yeah, big deal going on. Jesus said, violate the Pharisees' donut. And I mean now. All right? That's what came down. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. (laughs) It just gets a little more comical each step here, okay? So now we've got these Pharisees. You can only picture them like their feet standing like shoulder width or wider apart because I don't know, somehow you're more dominant that way, right? And you, and you, you cross your arms and they're standing this way as people are wandering by them in the temple and around the courts, right? And they're just sort of watching for people to violate. And, and how dare you violate, right? That's kind of where they are. And they're like, Matt Carrier, right there, right? And so now they walk over to him and they confront him like, what is up with you violating our law? Why are you carrying your mat? Right? 
The man answered him. Uh, the man who healed me, the man who said to me, take up your bed and walk. That's who told me. I, I, I'm walking and carrying a mat because I was told to by the man who healed me. Okay. Somehow the Pharisees heard, blah, 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 man told me. Okay. Look what they ask. So who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? How do you skip the word healed? Do you know what I'm saying? The guy's like, dude, the man who healed me, do you recognize me? 38 year old, 38 year long disease and I'm walking. The guy who did this to me, apparently some authority, he told me to pick it up and walk. They're like, whatever, someone told you to not listen to me? Do you hear that? Like healing, whatever, you're holding a straw mat. And that bothers me. That's where we are. It's amazing how much we get wrapped up in our own little worlds, isn't it? And we miss the very hand of God moving in this place. Man, may we not do that. Lord, help me see you moving. Let me see you stirring. Let me know where you're going. And may I see with my eyes wide open what you're trying to accomplish. The man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. In the moment where the guy stood up and started dancing around and um, displaying the newly healed legs, the crowd gathered and Jesus just stepped away and disappeared. And, and so the man didn't even get to thank him and didn't know what was going on. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. I love that. Jesus went to him and found him and said, see, you are well. Jesus is right direct right like i see you're not walking nice mat i love what's going on here right see you are well sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you wow big statement jesus is saying look we've now dealt with the physical time for you to deal with the spiritual okay hey god doesn't just do miracles to wow and god isn't in the business of making physical healing so we can just be a little more comfortable he's getting to the heart that's what he's doing and, and so his call here is make sure you sin no more hey go after a heart that's on fire for me now go after it with all you've got in fact may even be illusion some commentaries say here to this crippling that he had being the re- reaction of some sin that had happened prior in his life uh, could even be saying that like hey some of this is caused by the fact that you were in a wrong place wrong time doing the wrong thing and Leviticus 16 verses 14 through 16 we're very clear in the law hey there's blessing and cursing and if you were sitting under the law to not do what God called you to would bring cursing and and some of the things included some of these maladies and so was that what was meant here we don't know but I can tell you this Jesus was clearly saying man it's time to walk it clean you've met the almighty and my power's been unleashed in you now it's time to let that affect your very heart as you believe with all you've got the man went away and told the jews that it was jesus who had healed him again it doesn't really say what's going on here he decides to give him credit at this point like hey weren't you the guy that was like over by the pool he's like well i was funny you should ask but i was healed not by being in the water a man named jesus spoke and it was done like he was giving him credit and, and there was testimony being given 
Uh, it's not even clear. He may have even gone as far as doing it in order to not be in heat, not be underneath some trouble and making sure that the leaders grasped that it wasn't me, man. And I was just doing what I was told. And But he clearly had a testimony of the power of God at work in his life. And he shared that Jesus Christ moved. That's our job. In fact, that's about our only job. Did you know that? Like, Lord, stir me up. May I see your hand move in my life. And may I grasp what you're doing. And as you move, may I share that with those around me. To your glory. To your power. To your authority. It says that the man went away and told some people. And then in verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Here we go. A couple of reasons in a row. Why Jesus' ministry is now being amped up. All right. Persecution getting higher. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He was violating the law as far as they understood it. He was in direct violation to God. How dare he? Jesus answered them. Hey, my father's working until now and I am working. Impudence. We've informed you that you're not following the Sabbath. And your answer is God's working and I'm working. It's like he thinks he's God or something. Uh, yeah, that's what he thinks. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Hey, Jesus' ministry was being amped up here. Why? Because credit was being given to him. Because recognition of who and why the changes in people's lives were occurring was given to him. And they were getting frustrated with it. Credit. It's something super important for us to understand. In the church, all too often we start talking about things going on and we're like, well, I did. Da, 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 right? Man, oh man, did that check-in over at Children's go well? Yes. I am that check-in person. Right? And, and, and instead of saying, hey, God is doing a wonderful thing here and we're seeing him stir in the hearts of people and I have a privilege to come alongside of him and serve with him and he uses us. That's very real. But God, may you get the glory. Hey, it's about us watering. It's about us planting. It's about God giving the increase. Amen. Credit given to him. May he be lifted up. Yeah, we can mess that up pretty badly. Did you know that? Top three ways we can mishandle credit. Top three ways we can mishandle credit. Uh, number one, refuse to admit somebody was even there. Denial. Denial. What? You? I don't even recall you being there. I have no such recollection of you being in the presence of me when that happened. Like, I'm not even going to entertain the thought that you somehow had something to do with it. I, I don't remember you there. Or I don't remember you standing up and being a part of it. Denial. Right? Absolute denial. Credit problems. Second one. We steal it. In fact, I am the one who did it. Like it's going to be all about me and my glory. Not all about Christ and his glory. Not about the team and our glory. You know, the biggest word we can use to make sure we're not falling into this is we. We, not I. Right? The number one stealer, you can always recognize them because they love the pronoun I. Okay? We needs to be our pronoun. Collective, plural. 
We're working together. God's doing amazing things. Amen. Amen. Man, that's weak. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we, okay. That's the word for the church. We together underneath God almighty's leadership. May you get the ultimate credit and we together are excited about what's going on here. Don't steal the glory and the credit. So denying, stealing, and number three, blaming. You know that credit where you're like, it didn't go well? He was completely in charge. Then we're really happy to give credit, right? Like who really ran that thing? That guy over there. Nothing to do with it, right? I'll give credit as long as it means the heat's going there. So if you notice, if we play this game well, it's heat there, honor here. Heat there, honor here. Man, that's a bad credit game to play. And it actually tips us off to the fact that there's a lot of pride going on. Be careful on what you do with credit. Talking about God and his work in your life. Talking about others and what they're doing. Let's lift people up. Let's be an encouragement. Let's be a thank-giving family. As we say the words, we, okay? And let's watch God be celebrated in the midst. The very timing of this was all about giving Christ the credit because his ministry was amping up. It's an amazing privilege to be a part of what God's doing in your life. Question for you, what is God doing in your life? Maybe there's a timing on things that are going on. Maybe there's even a struggle that he's bringing in right now, letting you go face to face with that struggle. What is it? And are you willing to say, Lord, I see your hand in this, and I want you to be honored. May you get the glory. Let's give him the credit for his work. Let's give those around us credit as they're working with us. In one big celebration, as we say we, God getting the glory. All right? So we obey him. We give credit where credit is due. That's the story. So the sign, what's really going on in the big picture here? We've looked at the trees. Now let's look at the forest, okay? The sign. So let's go back up to the top. The sheep's gate, verse 2. We talked a little bit about it. This is a gate for the sheep, right? And, and these sheep, they were on their way to the temple. They were, in fact, on their way to be sacrificed, okay? These sheep were often the sacrifice for an offering for sin, And ironically, Jesus Christ is now at the sheep's gate. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Remember, John looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Lamb of God now standing at the sheep's gate, where the sheep enter through to go to the temple to be sacrificed to cover sin. And that's where Jesus Christ is standing, at the sheep's gate. The Lamb of God, ready to go to be the sacrifice for all sin. That's what's happening in this story. More than that, Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1 talks about the rebuilding of the walls under Nehemiah. And the first thing they rebuilt was the sheep's gate. The sheep's gate. Why? Well, because actually they wanted to make sure that they were properly giving sacrifice right away. First thing done is going to allow us to be able to honor God Almighty and sacrifice to him. Nehemiah was watching over it. He actually had a priest helping with him. This guy's name was Eliashib. You know what it means? His name means my God restores. That's who was watching over it. My God restores. 
And part of it was, hey, we're restoring this gate, right? So right there in the immediate, they've got a fulfilling of his name. I get to watch over restoring the gate and my God restores. But guess what? Hundreds of years later, at the same place his feet were standing as he was lifting up his rocks and whatever, Jesus is now standing as the God who does restore. And he speaks and a man is healed. Like, that's what's going on. The setup is amazing as you look at all the little innuendos weaving together of the place where the Lamb of God will come through to be able to usher in the ministry of sin covered as a God who speaks and people are healed. The restoring of the ministry is coming. Amen. That's the message. It's like a trumpet blast. It's right here and it's right now. That's what's going on. The Messiah, the Savior. Jesus Christ, for you and for me, restorer, lamb of God, shepherd, king, provider at the lamb's gate, at the sheep's gate, for you and for me. There's a giant trumpet blast of the coming ministry. He is our Messiah, our lamb, our restorer. But it's more than that. It was also saying, hey, this Jesus, he has authority over the law. Jesus, law. You know what I'm saying? Jesus law. Hey, I know what I'm doing when it comes to the Sabbath. Jesus statement. I'm telling you his absolute authority in this world, his absolute fulfillment of the law, his grasping that the law was there for man, not man for the law. And that in the midst of it, he's saying, my God, the father is working and I am working and you're missing it right before your eyes. The ministry of Jesus Christ, the almighty Messiah, working in your life, working in my life, working above any other rule, absolute authority, higher than any name is Jesus Christ's name. Amen. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what this sign is all about. Last statement, verse 18. It says that they were seeking to kill him all the more. Do you hear the accelerator being pressed on that? They were seeking to kill him all the more. They shifted into third gear and they're romping on the accelerator. His ministry is upping in this moment. We're seeing Jesus, the lamb, walked through the sheep gate on the way to sacrifice. We're seeing the almighty... Providing restoring and talking of the restoring that can happen. He has authority and power well beyond anybody else. The extent of his power, absolute healing of the permanent and physical. The extent of his power, he's able to restore the heart. But more than that, his purpose of ministry, the Messiah is delivering for you and for me an absolute sacrifice to rock our worlds. I just wrote this down. Jesus, well, the sign is saying this. Let's get it on. Right now and right here, I am here that I might provide. I am here that I might restore. I am here for sin to be taken away. A restoring of the physical, that's nothing. 
I am here to restore souls that were separated from me. I am talking an eternity of togetherness. I am talking hearts transformed, glory being given, God's name lifted up. Jesus, the Messiah, our restoring king at the sheep's gate with a miracle sign for you and for me. Emmanuel. Im means with. Anu means us. And El means God. Im, Anu, El. God with us. Jesus Christ at the sheep's gate. God Almighty in the flesh. He is my hope, my life, my power, my authority, my restoring, my salvation. He is my king. Amen? Amen. The sign. As we see Jesus Christ come up to a man, not even in faith with him, and he says, hang on, time for you to understand a little bit of who I am. My name is Jesus, Messiah. I am here to give life and hope and joy. And I'm telling you for all of eternity, you and me together, that's what it looks like. You, yes, come up short. Absolutely miss the mark. Nothing you can do to earn it. Forget the works. I'm above the works. Forget the law. I'm above the law. My shed blood for you for all of eternity. Come to me. Lean on me. Let your life be absolutely transformed by me. Emmanuel. God with you right here. Time for you to believe. The creator of the universe is in your presence and his ministry is on. That's the sign. Let's pray.